Greetings, beloved, and welcome to the pastor's desk. Uh, it's kind of an old, old throwback. Uh, if you are a subscriber to our iTunes or Podbean feed, you'll know that we've got, uh, I, I think, seventeen hundred plus sermons and and short readings on on here now. Uh, and from the pastor's desk was something I did way, way, way back at the beginning uh, as I was reading through some tracks. Uh, and, and that's all still out there if you want to go read it, but basically I was reading through some tracks that uh, were so old at that point that it was very unlikely anybody else had copies of them, uh, and I was trying to preserve them the best I could in, a, in an audio format. So uh, just a little teaser, certainly you're welcome to go uh, listen to that. Uh, if you're listening, and this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this, uh, let me explain what's going on. We had some sermons we preached over the summer that didn't get recorded uh, that were part of our Jesus Life on Earth study that we've been doing where we put the events of Christ's ministry in chronological order. Um, so it'll get way less cheesy here in a minute as I start to read from this outline. Uh, but we're a couple outlines in already. Uh, this particular one that you have before you is following Jesus Life on Earth, the arraignment of the Pharisees in one of their own homes. Uh, so these sermons all take place... Uh, if you if you look through the feed, there's a gap between June 5th, I believe, and the beginning of November. These sermons all fall right in there. So this one follows that one, uh, and we'll have, I, I believe, at least 12 more that fall in here. And I'm trying to get them all back uh, recorded and on this feed for you before we get to Passion Week or, or the week of the Lord's crucifixion. So... Uh, I do apologize. All of the rest of them are recorded over the last seven years chronologically, uh, and I, I almost didn't record these because it is a lot of work, but then I thought, oh my goodness, if you're in some remote area and this is the only source you have to this kind of study, uh, it would be really good to have all of it. And uh, So please forgive me if it's out of order, and it certainly is. Uh, and please forgive me that you might have to do a little work to, to, to find all these. If you've been listening to them all along, just understand these events take place uh, before what we are currently releasing, uh, which we release on Sunday afternoons, because we do this as a sun Sunday afternoon study. So our text today is Luke 12, uh, and Lord willing, we'll do the entire chapter, but we're going to do it uh, one section at a time. And the title of the outline is Jesus' Life on Earth, Teaching Concerning Trust in God, and coming judgment, which actually providentially ties in very well uh, with where we are currently in, in the study of the Lord's ministry in Luke 18, which we'll, we'll look at on this coming Sunday. So in Luke 12, we're going to read the first 12 verses uh, to start out with, and we're going to break up the chapter by the points, which I do this sometimes just to, to break up a bigger chapter so that, especially if you're listening only, it's a little easier to keep that text fresh in your mind. But there's some semantics to deal with here in the introduction first. So after the encounter with the Pharisees that we talked about last time, uh, we now see our Lord turn to the crowd, which was so thick at this time that they trod or trample one upon another. And he began to teach to them the importance of having the right priorities in their lives. And in a couple more chapters of Luke, you'll see that we've got a string of chapters that look on the discipleship. Excuse me. What a disciple is, the necessities of discipleship, considering the cost of discipleship, uh, the onus upon the church to protect those little children who are becoming disciples for the first time, and so on. So he's setting the groundwork for that. And in the opening phrase that we're going to see in this chapter is, in the meantime. 
Uh, and it can also be translated as in which circumstances, as though the Lord simply turned from the Pharisees' table and began to teach once more the crowd that had been gathered. We can summarize those priorities in the three points that we're about to discuss, but understand these are mainly categorizations of our priorities. Surely there are many subheadings for each, but having these three in line will guide us through the details of the work God has called us to do. Take special note as we get into the text that there's a list of warnings, and, and you'll see these phrases, Beware, I will forewarn you, take heed, let your loins be girded about, and your lights be burning. Be ye therefore ready, give diligence to. And the verses that best summarize this lesson are found in Luke chapter 12, verses 31 through 34, which we'll get to, but I want to read it here as we're setting this up. He says here, But rather, or turn and seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's begin... Uh, reading verses 1 through 12, and this point is entitled, Fearing God. In the meantime, when there was gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, and so much that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say to you, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you unto the... <clears throat> and when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Fearing God. The religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus, as we saw mentioned at the end of Luke chapter 11 uh, in our previous lesson. And they have been seeking to trap him and punish him for quite a while by this point. Way back at the commencement of the Galilean ministry, Jesus was brought up to read in the synagogue, as was custom. And he read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. And we have this account in Luke 4. So let's turn over there and read that real quick. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 29. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus read. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, 
to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then Jesus prepared to preach. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. Note the condescension as God the Son sits amongst those that he was speaking to. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day in the scripture... This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Notice how Jesus seemingly breaks the ideology of religion immediately. The tradition of religion wasn't that this man would read and sit down and continue to speak. And he was already bringing this apart. And he said, and it says in the text, All bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven shut up, was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city in Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel. By the way, that woman was a Gentile. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisus. So we see Elijah, that's Elias, and Elisha, which is Elisuus, or uh, Elisuus, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian, a Gentile. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, and these things were blasphemous to religion, not blasphemous to God, but blasphemous to their traditions. All of them were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow, the, the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. The crowds were thronging Jesus, but he was neither afraid of the enemy nor impressed by the multitudes. He lived to please God alone as a perfect model for what Dr. Luke lays out for us in this chapter. Jesus saw the twelve, that the twelve were worried about the Pharisees, so he warned them to fear God alone and not men. If we fear God, we need not fear anyone or anything else. When we start fearing people, then we are in danger of compromising in order to please them and protect ourselves which will lead to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees from last lesson. Consider Psalm 112. Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light, in the darkness, he is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall be in. Uh, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Oh Lord, help us to be more more of this nature for sure. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted and uh, exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Jesus compared hypocrisy to leaven or yeast. 
It starts small, it spreads, and eventually infects the whole. Did the Lord call us to get a rise out of folks or to give them the truth? There would be no different purpose and intention for the church today than what the Lord was establishing at that time. We do the world no favors by sparing them the truth of the Bible, beloved. The Jews would recognize leaven as a picture of impurity. Listen to Exodus chapter 12, verses 15 through 20, and understand as we're, we're doing this study to look at the chronology or chronologically look at the Lord's ministry, we need to understand that the, the traditions and the understanding of the people that he was ministering to. So Exodus 12 is very important to this lesson. And starting in verse 15, we read, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, that, shall, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day, have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt? Therefore shall ye observe this day in your, in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month of, at even, or in the evening, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he be a stranger or born in the land, ye shall eat nothing un, um, nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread. Paul would discuss it later in his writings, again warning of the dangers of being puffed up. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, something very uh, familiar to us as we uh, in, in the Lord's church would look at the Lord's Supper. He says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Galatians chapter 5 verse 9, Paul writes again, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Beloved, toying with leaven is foolish, for the believer, for we have been taught that God sees the truth of all things. He is the final judge, and he will not be deceived. Our fearing men before God mocks the Father who cares for us. We see that in verse 4 through 7 of our text. It also mocks the Son who died for us, verses 8 through 9 of our text. And it mocks the Holy Spirit who enables us to be strong in the Lord, verses 10 through 12 of our text. The blasphemy against the Holy, Spirit, Holy Ghost that Jesus speaks of in verse 10 has special reference to the Jewish nation that was rejecting the evidence Jesus gave them of who he was and what they needed to do. Deacon Stephen lays this out in Acts chapter 7. When Israel refused the ministry of John the Baptist, they rejected God the Father who sent John. But there was still the witness of the Son. When they rejected Jesus, he prayed for them. Luke twenty three thirty four. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When they rejected the witness of the Spirit through the church, given in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, rejected in Acts chapter 2, all the way through Acts chapter 7, they sinned against the Holy Spirit, and there was no further witness left. 
Stephen says in verse 51 of Acts 7, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. The second point of this chapter, of Luke chapter 12, is trusting God. And we see it in verses 13 through 34. And uh, you have to forgive me, beloved, if I sound a little bit hoarse. I've been recording these uh, messages from the summer and and preached again last night and uh, starting to wear on me a little bit, but I would like to finish this particular chapter. Trusting God, and again we look at Luke 12, verses 13 through 34. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose uh, who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself which uh, and, and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on, The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not uh, ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God. This is the verse we started with in the introduction. And all those things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What a beautiful, and and if I can use the phrase, famous set of verses that appear all here in one chapter, in one point, the point to trust God. This rich man was more concerned about getting money than hearing the word of God. This rich man pulling down barns, I mean. We see in Luke 8, verse 14, the, the, the verse says, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Oh, how haunting. He wanted Jesus to solve his problems, this man who, who comes in and asks for him to, to settle the division. But 
he didn't want to be saved from his covetousness. Had Jesus made just uh, had Jesus made a just division of the property, this would not have solved the problem. For as one commentator writes, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. Luke twelve fifteen we we read here, it take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. This statement contradicts the philosophy of the world, does it not? And it also illustrates in the uh, is illustrated in that parable from verses sixteen to twenty one. Death, even though it is inevitable, is the great contradiction to how one lives if living uh, for the abundance of things. I think of one of our brethren at the mission who was talking about his sister in law's death here recently. And his his description of the house after her death and, and after his brother's death, he said all the substance of their lives was gone in mere days. All that was left was just things. And this man who pulled down his barn and built greater barns, he just has greater barns full of things, but what good are they now? Money does not solve the problems of the parable, beloved. It creates new ones. It is not a sin to be wealthy, but it is a sin to make wealth your God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Paul says, Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. And he says that covetousness is idolatry. Note the emphasis the farmer gave to himself. I and my his very words illustrate the sudden control he believed he now had over life and circumstances. Wealth can make us generous, or wealth can make us selfish, depending on what is in our hearts. If you do not handle money well when you had very little of it, you will not handle money well when you have very much of it. Luke chapter 21, verses 1-4 through four. He looked up and he saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all, for all these have their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Remember, beloved, that we are to trust God. The rich are prone to be covetous, and the poor are prone to worry. Both are sins. You're not going to hear too many politicians alienate both sides of the party, but the Lord Jesus makes it clear here. Both are sins. When we substitute things for life, we stop living by faith and trusting God. All of nature trusts God to meet their needs, and so should we. Think of the destruction of worry. It gives way to covetousness for the poor, but makes for those but makes for those with abundance such as the parable in our text to store more nuts than he will need for the winter. The key to a worry-free life is a heart fixed wholly on God. But rather turn and seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you, he says in verse 31. And if you're looking at verse 31, you note that I added turn and, because that's what he's telling us to do when he says rather. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, but rather turn and seek ye the kingdom of God. What is the Lord promising to add? Remember Matthew 6, verse 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The other things listed in our text include life, meat, growth, and raiment, or covering. 
And that brings us to the third and final point, which takes us from verse 35 to 59, where the Lord discusses the principle of serving God. In verse 35 of Luke 12 is where we begin. And it says, Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding. And when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken through. But ye, be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat men servants and maidens to eat and to, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knoweth, uh, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto, him, uh, for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. Verse 49, I am come to send fire on the earth, Jesus says, and what will I if I be already, or if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? And he says this with an exclamation point. How am I straightened? What a word. How am I held? How am I, how am I pressed until it come? This is the will of the Lord. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five and one house divided. Three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter. The daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he said also to the people, When ye see a cloud rise out of the west straightway, ye say, There cometh a shower, and so it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, ye say, There will be a heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee that thou shalt not depart thence, till thou hast paid every last mite. Serving God. 
Let us remember once again that Jesus is speaking to a crowd that has been stirred up by the Pharisees. He's warned them of the dangers of leaven, as well as covetousness. Serving God is to be our focus. Living for material possessions can blind us to the future and make us unprepared for the Lord's return. We can get so wrapped up in this world's goods that we neglect eternity. Can you imagine? This is what we the very thing that we are to be looking forward to the most, and yet we can neglect it by such a distraction. Who amongst us is longing for the Lord's return? Do we convey that to our community, our family, and friends? Remember in Genesis when, when Joseph reveals himself to his brethren and he makes the invitation, Come and be with me. Come hither. Come near. A place, a Goshen, has been prepared for you. Remember even Pharaoh's house rejoiced because they knew the longings of Joseph for his family to come and be with him. Does our community know our longing? Do they know that we long for the Lord Jesus to come? Do they see a, such a service from us that we are longing and looking to his second coming? We must be servants who are faithfully waiting and watching for the bridegroom. We see that in verses 35 through 40 of our text. And working for the master, what we see in verses 41 through 48. Look again at verse 39. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Revelation sixteen fifteen, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Beloved, our communities do see our shame. If they don't see us longing for the Lord Jesus, then our old man is revealed as though naked before all to see. He will come like a thief, so we must be ready. As soon as we decide that the Lord may not return today, then we start living for ourselves, as we see there in verse 45. The phrase, cut him in sunder, that we see in verse 46, and the word beaten, that we see in verse 47 through 48, are perhaps harsher than most are prepared to deal with today. The idea, having more time, reflects well that convenient season that Felix told Paul he would prefer to wait for. To ignore the call to repent and believe is a most dangerous thing. John Trapp, in his commentary on this text, compares this servant blaming his delaying Lord to a blue jay being cut down from the tree by an arrow. Pruning himself and thinking least about death, he tumbles to the ground with the arrow in his side. His glass was run when he hoped it had been but new turned. Look at verse 46 again. It says, The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. This speaks as though the Lord were to tear the soul from body by force. That's how quickly it will occur. Job 27 verse 8, For what is the hopes of the hypocrite, though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul? Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13 Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto, the, unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet their bridegroom and five of them were wise and five of them foolish they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps while the bridegroom tarried they all slumbered and slept and at midnight there was a cry made Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Afterward they came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Shall we ignore those familiar words, I know you not? This should bring chills to the heart of all who would hear it. Your hope rests in Christ's familiarity of you. Is he your Savior? Fearing, trusting, and serving God. This is the theme of Luke chapter 12. If we truly knew of the spiritual warfare happening around us, if the Israelites had known, then perhaps committing to this teaching would have been the utmost urgency and importance. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Beloved, I read it like that, not for theatrics, but because I believe that Paul loved the Ephesians so much that he delivered this writing, this message, with extreme urgency. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 19, Paul, still writing, says, And I thank Christ, our, uh, I Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And we see this spoken to in our text in Luke 12. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which, hear, which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went bo uh, before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, hath made shipwreck. Christ knew, and yet he went to the cross in the place of the Father's elect. If we think that serving Christ is demanding and difficult, think of what he experienced. He felt the fiery waves and billows of God's judgment in his baptism on the cross. The very reason the Lord referencing, uh, references his coming sacrifice was to, in a way, set the bar for what our steadfastness to him should look like. Remember, the next four chapters are going to be on discipleship in, in Luke's account of the gospel. Huh. It's a lot to think about. Do we continue to wallow in self-loathing and doubt when the only Savior of this world has called for us to look upon him in belief? You will find no hope within yourself, no escape in doubt. Look to Jesus, beloved.